Let's go, girls. Hitting for tape. Yeah, I mean, we never. Yeah, let me see. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I believe that we should have a lip biscuit closer. That should be Nookie. Closer, okay. I think the opener is a real good question. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think I think we'll decide at the end. Okay. I, or I, 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 but <laughs> like, if I, I like this inverse decision. <laughs> yeah, no, I've decided that Nookie is the one at the end. Okay. Um, but I feel like... Um, Man, I'm really loving this song you picked in the future right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm, 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 and it goes mm. along with the theme of the end. I guarantee <laughs> exactly. it somehow. Okay, perfect.
<clears throat> Kathy, what do you know about um, what do you know about comic strips? Ooh, I love them. I know quite a bit, actually. Did you know that um, episode three uh, was all about um, the Doonesbury men, and we still haven't been able to contact him? No, two, that is correct. Doons, Doonesbury men, if <laughs> you're out there, we need to talk to you. I'm gonna. We have so many questions about um, uh, the the one guy on the typewriter, and then the guy with the Hawaiian shirt. Just, yeah. just so many questions about all those memorable characters. Why? <laughs> Why my paper no longer carries your comic, Gary Trudeau? <laughs> you know, I'll bet. Name? You know what? I'll, I'll bet that's what it is. If mm. we had left Doonesbury in 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 the newspaper, then all mm. of the boomers would have never gone to Facebook. They would have stayed in the funny in the pages funnies. where they belonged. <laughs> True, and America would be saved. It's true. Well, uh, you because know, that's the problem is that no one reads the paper anymore. I mean, of course, that nobody wants to work anymore as well. But the other problem is that nobody reads the paper. Well, uh, the, uh, an example is true. It's just us. It's it's the you know twenty something thousand subscribers to the new, news press here in this city of well over you know a quarter million people. Um, so uh, imagine if you had a uh, a ninety three year old uh, marriage, and uh, and you were known for the color of your hair. Um, wow, both of those things. Let me see. I'm Phyllis Diller. No, I'm uh, Barbara Bush. I'm. That's you... it. That's all I got. Purple people, people leader. The Blondie comic strip created by. Sheik Young for September 8th, 1930, is told in four frames. Hold them side by side. A well-dressed playboy, Dagwood Bumstead, with a wiry body and dark plastered hair, introduces a pert, curly-haired woman to his short, roundish father, a blustering railroad tycoon. Very 1930s uh, mean dad career. Yeah. At first, Blondie Boopadoop was a flapper with a vague behavioral resemblance to Betty Boop, also first released in 1930. The early Dagwood was a callow, love-smitten son of rich, judgmental parents. Exactly 90... I don't think that sentence was correct, but that's how I read it. Exactly 93 years later, the Blondie comic strip put together for September 8th, 2023 by Dean Young, Sheik Young's son. Wow, that means he's old as fuck, too. Wow. Um, and, <laughs> and John Marshall of... Binghamston, New York, unfolds in three frames. Set in an old-fashioned barbershop, it reveals Dagwood, his hairstyle and manner virtually unchanged over the course of decades, taking college. Yeah, uh, Blondie has always been an interesting one. I'm going to go just flipping pages here. Okay. Five. Oh, hold on. It is kind of weird thinking, Brian, that your generation and ours, these, these, uh, us as millennials, are probably going to really truly be the last people who even have an inkling of comic strips in the newspaper. Because I would say even people in our generation weren't really newspaper readers. No. No. 
they all the programs i mean you and i probably both read the articles as we were growing up through the years about how like newspaper Mm -hmm. readership especially since you know let's say the late 90s just plummeted and never picked back up and Mm -hmm. maybe there was a little bit of a pick back up of from the novelty issue when papers write you know Mm -hmm. there was a moment when papers people were like wow papers buy your local paper buy the new york times and this will like make your world better but like that passed very quickly and we're right back to and i also wonder right like there's no way that the online clicks made up for actual circulation no or no way or the value that they provided as a business no Mm -hmm. never no and and that's the thing is that um if you really think about the dynamic of newspapers and even uh, i mean phone books work similarly wow that looks good i wish i had one of those uh uh-huh. vanilla moraine from Trader Joe's. well it looks delicious um if you really think about uh how newspapers used to work they were an advertising medium and now they're meant to be read but they have supplemental ads essentially like the the ads like subscription revenue is now what they're going for ad revenue is like an additional little bonus essentially that they get um and that's why it costs five dollars now instead of a dollar but like i will say though the quality of the newspaper itself how many sections it has especially in your times like the volume of the paper each day isn't i mean it's the in- quality is increasing which is very strange I mean, you are getting, like, more for your money, and that's good. I appreciate that. And I like all the extra sections. They're really cool. It's kind of like having, like, a magazine every day. Because, like, yeah, you don't read the style section every time. But sometimes you see, like, oh, this is, like, a director or an artist or, a, you know, actor or something in here that I like. And you'll, like, look into it, and you'll be like, oh, wow, this is, like, more than I ever knew about this person. And that's, yeah. like, worth it. To That's why I always look at the extra sections, even though you're, like, you know, obviously this isn't about, like, you know, a plain bombing some place but like mm-hmm. still like you're like whoa shit like there's cool magazine content and um that's actually i think what newspapers are going to i don't even know how long newspapers will continue to be around i mean i for a little while but um mm-hmm. so we talked before about how comics were adapting and going away mm-hmm. some were coming and leaving and uh blondie is one of the mm-hmm. ones that's actually sticking around even in our local paper and now, 93 years later, let's see, um, the person writing it currently is the creator's son, who is an advertising um, executive in Miami and flew airplanes for promotions. That's funny. In the era that they would have been selling land here. That's pretty funny. Hmm. So that means that that guy, though, is... in his 70s or 80s yeah for sure how about this blondie is the third longest running newspaper comic strip that is still ongoing after gasoline alley 1918 to present and barney google and snuffy smith wow 1919 i don't even know those other ones me either none has run as long as the catch and jammer kids Mm -hmm. which lasted 109 years between 1897 and 2006 spanning three centuries um dean young was born the current artist is was born in 1938 
Wow. It's such a... I'm just looking at a couple of comics here, some examples. It's hard to express them, but it's a... Uh... It's very like, uh, I don't want to say milk. 96 toast. years old. This dude is 96 years old and he's still fucking drawing Blondie. Yeah, here's a picture of him. Yeah, that dude looks 96. <laughs> he's like, I'm a skeleton holding a newspaper. Um, yeah, he's drawing Blondie. Oh my goodness, here's an article about a diamond necklace that cost $3 million. I don't think I'd ever get a good night's sleep knowing that I owned a necklace that expensive and then. Blondie uh, says, or no, Blondie's husband, Dagwood, says, sleep tight, little darling. That's it. That's the comedy. That's the punchline. That, that's that's correct. <laughs> I wonder if this guy has any, I wonder if the current guy has any kids and if he's going to pass it on to, like, the kids. I think he's going to pass it like, on to this dog right I, there, you see. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, see, I feel like this is yet another example of boomers retiring and not letting like someone else take over right like this yeah. is what happens basically with like all the marvel comics and shit it's like just generations of a different artist take over superman and spider-man and then some other assholes drawing batman i don't even know what the fuck uh what's his name the uh did didn't the guy who made Buffy the Vampire Slayer, didn't he wind up making like a Superman comic for some reason or yes. something? Uh, yes. Like... Uh, the, the, that man, we, yeah, we've, we talked about him a little bit, Joss Whedon. Yeah. yeah he's done all. That's right. That's his name. Thank you. He's done all kinds of comics. Yeah. He was uh, famous for doing um, some Marvel and some DC stuff um, and before he started doing the movies for Marvel. But um, yeah, no, I mean, he was a, at the time. You know, in the mid two thousands, a widely respected comics, oh, yeah. ar uh, you know, artist or writer as well. So, mm -hmm. guy, yeah, comics guy. Comics guy, yeah. Comics guy. There's film. There's film guy. There's like guns guy. Like fishing guy. Yeah, there's like a comic book guy. There's a lockpick guy. <laughs> yeah. Rare. There's but... an everyday carry guy. Yeah, we uh, we <laughs> exactly. There's. <laughs> There's a guy for, uh, you know, the IT guy the that brings his gun into work. Yeah. What other kinds of guys are there? Guys and dolls. They're just a bunch <laughs> of crazy guys and dolls. Yeah. I want to open yep, the yep. Wikipedia. No, I want to open up the Reddit for just like types of guys. <laughs> Hold on. I'm a, I'll, I'll, I'll look that up here. Uh, Reddit. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if there is a subcommunity for guys. guy you know type that word into the reddit and see guy who gets his truck lifted guy that's definitely a type of guy yeah yeah that's a guy that's a guy um yeah that's like that becomes their whole life they get their truck lifted yeah. and then having that extra yeah, that's it. six inches on their truck becomes an entire lifestyle that's no yeah suddenly it becomes like every <laughs> single little bit of the kit on the truck yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, I've lifted it. Okay, but now, like, are, did I even use the right shocks? I think I need to go. Yeah. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, Mudden? Uh, off, no, no, oh. off market. Uh, I forgot oh, what it's aftermarket. called. Aftermarket. You need to get some aftermarket, aftermarket parts. Thank you. I got some aftermarket. I need, yeah. a, I need the Fast and Furious, my pickup truck. Yeah, they're going to start, like, <laughs> there's going to be, like, cool lights underneath the truck so it looks like it's, like, a UFO. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a, like a real thing for sure. Like you see people driving up and down these main streets with those crazy truck lights. So, um, comics. You will be unsurprised to learn that the top guy communities are cute guy butts. Okay. Bi guy porn guy. Ooh, nice. Guy thighs. Mm -hmm. Guys from behind. Mm -hmm. Ooh, guys on guys. Mm. Guys humping things. Okay, I've seen that one before. Guys finishing guy. There's a lot. Okay, I'm gonna put on the safe hey. search and see if it gives no, me. It won't I mean, be as fun like... with safe search. <laughs> guy cry. Aww. Oh, that's. Aw, for guys who cry. Oh. Aw. Otherwise I'm known as guys. A... Yeah. <laughs> there's a nice guys Reddit, which I think is trying to make fun of them. Oh. And then oh, there's a. Uh, here's here's one called guys being dudes, which sounds like wholesome things like guys high-fiving beers and like fishing hmm. um okay here's a wholesome one ask gay bros yes this is where anyone can ask manly men for their opinions on various topics that, yes. that sounds nice i'll bet the gay bros have real good advice yes definitely and it appears that those are like the best and, and then there's a bunch of like family guy fan whatever but um but there's nothing called yeah. like Lego guys or like horse guys or. No, the only other one that Jack popped up guys. like that is this guy guys. I don't know if uh, hmm. I guess it's like a Reddit meme type of thing. So like if you were to like uh, if you were to like answer a question about like a lifted truck. Somebody might reply to you and be like, this guy goes trucking. And then, like, that becomes, like, a whole thing. Like, where it's like, hey, this guy, this guy knows, this this guy boulders, this guy oh, yeah. climbs, this guy, this guy HVACs. <laughs> no, I mean, whatever. I once got signed up to a, uh, I think as a, as a bit for someone, they signed my email up to a, um, a, a forum for people who customize their Toyota Tacomas. It's called awesome. customtacos.net, I believe. Um, nice. So that's great. I, I live with that currently, like always in my inbox, like coming in once a month, like the updates on the latest threads in that form. Um, remember how um, everyone at our local city council was getting acting a fool and, and getting kicked out and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Well, there's some new rules um about who can attend the city council meetings now wow the cape coral city council plans to update its rules to avoid disruptive situations such as removing members of the public from its meetings the changes outline more specific penalties for residents who are removed and make a distinction between those who are arrested as a result or simply escorted from council chambers I think a lot of them were brought about because of the incidents that we've had in chambers, and it just kind of clarified what we can and can't do and what was expected of citizens, um, and there sh has, should there be an incident, Tom Hayden said. This is the man that I met who said mm -hmm. that um, we needed to uh, fix the vaccination situation in the dumbass way. Um, so, quote, I think everyone is just clarifying the procedures, and it helps everyone out. So let me get to the, the point here. Mm-hmm. Residents need to understand that we are here to conduct business, a city council member said. 
not really conducting a business meeting. It's more of a town hall forum. And there is a time and place for that. So this lays out to anybody exactly what happens if you misbehave in a meeting. <laughs> misbehave. Yeah, because they're all like babies. Yes. Uh, the changes are listed in Wednesday's consent agenda, which contains voting items that are voted on only and passed uh, unless polled for discussion. But let's see. Uh, mm -hmm. Here we go. One new change is the addition of penalties for repeat violators. If a person is removed from city council chambers for disruptive behavior, they will be barred from subsequent regular and special council meetings, including the committee of the whole the committee of the whole meetings and community. Hmm. I think they missed. They like put two sentences together. Yeah. I'll just read what it says, including the committee. I think there's a comma there missing word of the whole meetings and community redevelopment meetings for 30 days. Oh, no, no, no. So committee of the whole is a thing. Is that what it said? Yes. Yeah. So, um, I think like what it, it kind of varies city to city. Um, uh, um, it's like a less strict version of a meeting. Okay. So like, it's like a meeting light, but it's got it's like a special terminology. So your city just has these types of meetings. Okay. That's all it means. They have those types of meetings. And if you get banned from a regular city council meeting, it sounds like you can't go to the other types of city meetings either. A second violation incurred within 90 days of the first violation will bar a resident from meetings for 90 days. A third violation within one year of the first violation will result in an additional 90 days, and the person needs to petition the council with a reason why they can attend future meetings without violating the rules. Okay? As always, the council will decide whether the person can attend future meetings. Additionally, an arrested individual will instantly be barred from future meetings until a final disposition has been concluded from their criminal charges uh, stemming from their arrest. They would then need to petition the council with a reason for why they should be permitted to attend the meetings, and the council voting uh, will vote on whether or not to let them back. Once again, that, I had to paraphrase that sentence, okay. too. Any person removed from the council meetings will be issued a trespass warning, barring them from attending meetings until their penalty periods are up. Over the recent month, crowds of residents have been gathering inside council chambers to oppose things such as proposed improvements to J.C. Park. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. The demolition of the Yacht Club, thats uh, we talked about that previously, it was a huge okay. tragedy. Everyone was very sad. And more recently, the city council self-approved monthly stipends, which we've talked about at length. Um, mm -hmm. uh, passed without any comment or discussion or anything. These topics have brought a flurry of emotions from residents, with one resident, Scott Kempe, removed after he turned his back to the council <laughs> during a meeting. That's like... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I turn my back on you, sirs. Um, he was arrested and escorted out of the council chambers in December before the council was set to approve his return to the meetings as he argued against the city's interpretation of the rule of procedure. Recently, Kempe and his lawyer confirmed that the state attorney's office dropped the charges for the arrest in late January. Kempe said he plans to take legal action against the city as he believes his First Amendment rights were violated, but plans to stay away from the meetings for now. 
quote, I'm not going to go on Wednesday, Kempe said. I'm not going to take a chance that anything uh, new can be propagated against me that would interfere with my filing of anything I wanted to do civilly. According to Hayden and Welsh, Kempe would likely have to follow the new rules to attend future meetings. He needs to petition the council with his final disposition, or when his final disposition has been issued. Right. But it sounds like they dropped it. Anyway, pretty wild. Um, That's what's going on there. The other thing that's happening here in town is you know that um, that Moms for Liberty? We've talked about them once uh-huh. or twice before. They were, like, founded here in town. They're like the DeSantis's like, you know, little special uh-huh. pack that does the things that he likes. Um, you know, or basically a pack. Um, they're currently, like, tearing themselves apart and falling apart. Like, their organization is dying. Yeah. Less than three years after their founding, they're pulling themselves apart at the seams. So I saw that one of the co-founder ladies, I guess, she got busted because I guess they found, like, we like I say weird sex videos because they're, like, normal sex videos for people like you and I. But yes. for those kinds of people, it was, like, hardcore deviancy because I think there was, like, another chick or something. Yes, exactly. Bisexuality is not allowed in the um, politosphere. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's... and then the other co-founder like she like embezzled money or something i'm not sure mm. okay let's take a look here. but I, I thought i heard something else that the other one did something other some other stupid thing it involves a story yeah it involves her husband as well who has his own thing going on that we hadn't really talked about here but he was the head of the gop um that got fired recently for some other kinds of allegations so the whole the whole mm-hmm. family unit's not doing well criminally mm-hmm. in the political mm-hmm. sphere Moms for Liberty has dominated the headlines, school board meetings, and grassroots politics since its inception. The group, founded in Florida in January 2021, has rubbed shoulders with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, former President Donald Trump as its influence has spread exponentially. But now, on its third anniversary, Moms for Liberty loses more elections than it wins, and some chapters are seceding from the national organization over public controversy stemming from a three-way sex scandal involving one of the organization's co-founders and her husband. Uh, Bridget Ziegler, who also sits on the Sarasota School Board, is refusing to resign her seat as her husband faces an allegation, but no charge of rape. And that was one of the situations where her husband basically like resigned before he let it go to any kind of real public scrutiny. But that's been the hot topic in Florida lately. Let me just skip ahead here a little bit. If you're wondering what she looks like, um, you know, just imagine the, uh, you know, kind of woman who might post a, you know, uh, threesome She's holding video yeah. in the section of the, you know, wife posting section mm-hmm. on Reddit or something. Yeah. Despite, no, th- this person totally has an Instagram account where all the kids are wearing matching outfits regardless of how old they are. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes, but still has also a successful amateur porn account on uh, Reddit. Mm-hmm. Despite the noise, the group's founders and its local chapters are preparing to head into another election cycle with the same battle cry as at their founding. Fighting for parental rights in education. Yes, that's right. These are the, also the people who were like... No mm-hmm. books in the library. No more. No, mm-hmm. no books. Mm-hmm. They're all bad. No books. No reading. <laughs> no no words. No reading. Everyone just has like a pen and a... Comic strips only. <laughs> Comics. We're reading Blondie. We're reading the previous 93 years of Blondie exclusively. Yep. 
And it, you know, just that—that's the, back when they had morals. In high and lowest, no, in family circle, we can read those. Not, three not like these disrespectful peanuts kids. No, there's gay people in Garfield. We can't have them reading that either. Garfield books, we're burning them. Yeah. <laughs> don't even get me started on Heathcliff. Oh, Curtis. You know? Oh, we don't have to mention why just we're not including Curtis. Just a terrible role model. Yeah. The conservative parent group has always been in the middle of conflict and controversy. <laughs> yeah. It pushed back against COVID-19 mitigation efforts, such as masking in schools, after its founding rejected the inclusion of LGBTQ topics in education, fought to remove so-called critical race theory from both the classroom and teacher training, and pushed for the removal of books in schools members felt were inappropriate, i.e. all books. Some lauded the group of parents for fighting these culture wars, while others accused them of targeting marginalized groups and attempting to defund public education. They were even designated as an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center in summer 2023. Seems like a little late. Seems like they could have jumped on that yeah, two years earlier after sooner. all these accusations we just read. While some of their efforts fell flat, others succeeded, particularly in their home state of Florida, where DeSantis had been an outspoken fan. The group help push legislation like Florida's 2022 Parental Rights in Education Bill, dubbed the Don't Say Gay Law. That's what everyone else called it, um, yes. Which uh, barred the teaching of LGBTQ topics in grades K through three. It was expanded in 2023 through all grades, keeps transgender students, staff, and faculty from going by preferred pronoun, and is used by groups such as Moms for Liberty in book challenges. Right, that's the thing that they cite when they fill out those little <laughs> stupid forms and say, I'm offended. <laughs> right. Nationally, Moms for Liberty, which uh, was started by three moms. <laughs> Let's name and shame them. Brevard County's Tina Deskovich. Indian River's Tiffany Justice. Google that fucking lady's name. And <laughs> she wears her OnlyFans. And Sarasota Ziegler now boasts 300 chapters in 48 states with about 130,000 members. Um, sorry, it's got a huge notification in my ears that you can yeah. hear. No, it's, um, okay. it's, okay. it's about 130,000 members. Some 31 of Florida's 67 counties have chapters, according to the group's website. And while the controversies have inflicted some wounds, uh, go to a school board meeting in Florida and Moms for Liberty is likely to be there. Let's see. Okay. There's only a little bit left here, I think. Yeah. Okay. The activities of local chapters are largely left up to the individual chapter chairs, Deskovich said, one of the founding moms of hate. The organization provides a flowchart to help chapters determine if a topic falls under education issues or parental rights. Can you imagine if your organization was so, like, disconnected okay. that you have to use, like, the, the organizational flowchart to determine whether or not it's part of something you're supposed to be talking about or not? Awful. <laughs> we can't keep it straight. Us. That's like, oh, hold on. Let me open up the PDF. Uh, uh, no, this is education. Okay, this one we can't. This isn't what we're talking about. It reminds me of how, like, on The Simpsons, they had like, um, like the Hershey Chocobot Hour or whatever, and it was like, it was just like Transformers made out of chocolate, but like, you know. It just it can't be educational. It just has to keep the capitalist grist mill going. Uh, let's see. Do they have anything going here for them? Let me skip ahead. 
Out of the 500 candidates they endorsed, 275 won, with 17 school boards flipping to parental rights supportive majorities, according to their website. They reported a more than 50% win rate nationally, with the highest percentage of wins in Florida, 80%. Several of the school, this is self-reported statistics, um, several of the school board moms for Liberty helped flip, um, fired their, once again, this sentence, mm-hmm. this is, where, what happened to editing? Several, I'm just going to read the sentence so you know that I'm not crazy. It's funny that you were just saying newspapers were getting better, too. They were for five seconds. <laughs> So maybe the, the times, I guess, maybe this is the content, but you know, actually that's, maybe that's the problem. They're switching more to magazine content and the people who are writing the actual news are not even getting edited because this sentence is mm-hmm. insane. Several of the school boards, moms for Liberty helped flip fired their superintendent, no commas shortly after the new members were sworn in. That should have been like two separate sentences, but whatever. In both mm-hmm. Sarasota and Brevard, this, the motion to terminate their superintendents came just minutes after the gavel changed hands. Today, though, okay, hold on, no. Today, comma, <laughs> though, comma, there are signs of diminishing influence, period. Where there was once a sea of blue Moms for Liberty shirts at a school board, at school board meetings across Florida, it's often hard to spot more than a few, quote, joyful warriors at the same meetings now. So, like, they've literally taken, like, I'm a god warrior, like that mm-hmm. lady, mm-hmm. and become, and said, like, oh, yeah, that's normal. That's good. I'm a god warrior mm-hmm. lady is good. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. So, moms for liberty. They're dying. They're a dying breed. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, that's that. Let's see, what else? Did we talk about, um, is there anything we want to throw in the middle here between the news? Mm. Let is me see. Anything, uh, let's see. Yeah, is there anything? Let me check my uh, my messages, my Twitter likes. What else is? No, at there? this moment, I I have uh, like like I said, I I was just uh, had a kind of a busy work week, so I didn't have much like uh, like leisure time. But I did watch the Woodstock '99 documentary, which is both of them. Just of course, why I've been thinking a lot about Limp Biscuit. Yes, yes. So, um, Limp Biscuit was a favorite band of mine in middle school and uh, early high school, I would say. So, um, yeah. What What did you know? What do you know about this like music culture before you watched uh, this, this these Woodstock documentaries? Well, Brian, that's a great question. The answer is quite a bit. Okay, okay. so um, I guess I should start by saying that when I was um, a teen. Boy, did I love counterculture and music and all that dipshittery, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So here we are in 1994, let's say. I am 13 years old at this point. Okay. Prime teen era, literally a teen in Los Angeles. I am starting to smoke mar- marijuana at around okay. this time. Yeah, the devil's lettuce, as it's known. And, of course, starting to be, like, now coming out of, like, really, truly infantile shit of, like, I listened to the Backstreet Boys or what. Well, I guess it wasn't Backstreet Boys then. It would have been uh, New Kids on the Block, which I'm a big fan. No mm-hmm. hate, right? Yeah, but no. point being is that you're coming out of that era of, like, let me listen to, like, schlocky pop, which was 
the target demo of that time for new kids on the block and you're moving on to like maybe the stuff your older cousins and siblings listen to but by the time you're 13 you're also starting to develop your own taste right and you're still at the cutting edge of youth culture so everything is now starting to get marketed to you and so the new latest hot bands lip biscuit corn mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let me tell you brian at my school i'm surrounded by all of the dippy gator dudes that i was surrounded by in in like school yeah 100 percent like all of those dudes were way into corn, way into Lip Biscuit. Everybody had a Metallica t-shirt because it was like suburban dudes in L.A. Like they were literally the tar target demo for that. So um, I myself during that era was more listening to like Oasis and Blur and Pulp. And so even though all of my do doofy friends were listening to all of it, like it wasn't really my first choice. Right. But this is how this went right like somebody bought tickets to warp tour and now there's an extra one and they ask you if you want to go and maybe you say yes and maybe you say no but this was an era where a lot of that shit was maybe not exactly like that but that you know la had like music festivals and little tiny ones or you know shows and things like that and i feel like i i was pretty open-minded Again, still wasn't my first choice. And if you're in California and you hear about Woodstock 94 with Nine Inch Nails. Right, and that's a few like other the, the legendary recreation. Mm -hmm. And like, it sounds fun, right? But I like my parents weren't going to let me uh, in 94. I was a 13 year old, right? That's what yeah. I'm saying. So like they weren't going to let a 13 year old travel all the way to New York. And they weren't boomers, so they weren't going to want to go. And it's like all the way to New York. Maybe I would have been able to convince them if it was Coachella. Right. Because we lived in the area, right? So, but music magazines, Rolling Stone and MTV and all of that shit, they're all covering it. Yes. Right? So it's yeah. everywhere and it's on the radio. Again, if you're in L.A., then you have KROQ uh, or K-Rock um, and a few other kind of hard metal stations. Uh, it was KLON, I think, or KLOS back then. I don't even remember now. But anyway, you had like the hard rock station. You had the like alternative rock station. You had all the NPRs and all that shit. All of, it, all of them are doing shit. And it sounded fun. And I guess it was like, you know, really the takeoff of this like festival culture. Um, but bands... You know, bands are cool. Festivals are cool. Who doesn't want to go, like, camp out and, like, do drugs and have fun, right? So that's basically, I guess, like, what the what the dealio was. And uh, But there's two documentaries. So there's one on HBO and there's one on Netflix. Yes. Um, the HBO one is the one that annoyed me. They're the ones mm. that have modern rock critics that are, like, looking at it in a modern lens, which I, I don't think is inappropriate. But I think they were talking about the zeitgeist of the 90s, but they weren't even born in the 90s. So it's like you can talk about how you as a modern viewer look back on the 90s. Sure, that's fair. But I'm sorry. No, the, some of the HBO music critics were kind of talking with like definitiveness. That I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's something to be said about like um, having someone in your documentary is going to comment on something that they don't like, they can't know about. Comment on, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think like one of the things that annoyed me, I'll say the most <laughs> about the HBO one, was like, um, so there there was like there was this uh gentleman music critic and then there was like a lady critic and like again i'm kind of compartmentalizing them because they made it seem very like balanced in the sense that like the guy is a black guy and then the chick she's like a totally white blonde chick right and it i felt like the hbo documentary got both of them there to comment on it so that they could be like now we see it with like a racial justice lens looking back and what would we say and they got them to say all that shit and they got her to say all that shit too which i don't disagree again i don't disagree with if we're looking back but that mentality didn't exist back then even among people who were espousing anti-racist or uh um feminist Mm. viewpoints back then they were not in any way, shape, or form the majority, a dominant majority, or even a persuasive minority of people in that era. I can think back to my high school days and go, literally no one except like me and two other people actually even gave a shit about what? Name it. Bosnia? That was what was yeah. happening back then. Because yeah. that, that that's what it was. And and it was like Hotel Rwanda type of shit that was happening back then. Yeah. Like we hadn't had 9-11 yet, which I think is like a really critical kind of like Columbine had just happened during Woodstock 99. But in Woodstock 94, we were living like an idyllic life. Yes. Everything was perfect in the world. Yes. Like, and so like Nine Inch Nails being goth felt like a costume kind of because it was like it it it, i've always kind of thought about this right like what Mm, is it that that like what angst was there really in 94 at least among americans or among youth culture and the answer was none there was no angst yeah kirk obame was still alive even yeah and i mean even if i go to him being dead right there wasn't um there wasn't a sense of catastrophe in the world around me. Yeah, no. The Kurt, di- yeah. Kurt dying was like really tragic and awful. And it's like the day the music died. But it's kind of like the day the music died. It was a plane accident in one case. And then it's like awful, horrible, like mental health condition in the other one. But like Kurt Cobain's death didn't result in like, wow, a national conversation on healthcare. it's no. not like all of a sudden all of those teenagers and parents and adults around them went wow chat, there is yeah. a crisis right like no but it, it didn't it it only mattered to the people who were the fans and even but then it they had were no like about like courtney love killing him or something like that yeah right as opposed to like oh maybe i wish we could have mental health imagine if we had started a mental health conversation back then it's right true. And that would have been the Here's moment another I was one. thinking about it just uh, mm-hmm. a couple days ago when I was listening to his music. I was like, that's like the the missed legacy of Kurt Cobain's, I mean, mm-hmm. wonderful artistic legacy left behind and whatever. But like the lo- the thing we really missed out on was the fact that he was a major celebrity who ended his own life at like mm-hmm. the height of his fame. 
And Mm -hmm. we kind of just let that go by. There was never like any Kurt Cobain, like suicide, you know, uh, I love Kurt, like, you know, nonprofit organization or anything like that. There was never Mm -hmm. any like. Musicians uh, against depression. Yeah. There was no like response to that. There was no big like telethon or anything like that. Mm -mm. Nothing. No. Right. I mean, and, and of course it's not like that would have happened right like that was in an era when we were exactly thinking about mental health that's kind of my point yes exactly it didn't blip right and 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 i was thinking about this other one which is um you know now and i say now in 2024 there's discussion about um like was kurt cobain an egg trans person right mm. like uh you know they cross-dressed yeah. they uh their journals have some hints at gender dysphoria and like that's the lens again the modern lens that we can bring now and take it to the past right he's a very passionate david bowie fan mm -hmm. and so even if kurt's life kurt cobain's inner life had all of those things as considerations society was not looking at him with awareness of those considerations and what i mean by this is do you remember when Kurt Cobain wore a dress on stage and it was like on SNL or it was like at some big show. I think it was the MTV Music Video Awards or something. Like some that. shit Maybe like that. Maybe even something more significant than that, yeah. Okay. Now, now, we know now because of his journals and even the record interviews and or magazine interviews he would do back then that you know, Kurt had a feminist lens and he, he himself was a feminist and would espouse feminist and, um, you know, uh, would call out homophobia at his shows, and, you know, just be an upstander in, 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 you know, in that time when nobody was like that. Right. Yes, but what I mean is I don't remember anybody making a big deal about Kurt Cobain wearing a dress one way or another. No. I don't remember any meatheads going, oh, what a fag. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. And I also don't remember any progressives, let's say like myself, none of us were going, yes, Kurt Cobain, strike a blow against patriarchy. Now, he may have been thinking that way. Yeah. Maybe his immediate people around him were thinking that way. And maybe there were a couple of people like me and you, maybe who were actually paying attention, who also had that vocabulary in their mind but when i was talking to every other classmate and peer around me none of them had that kind of analysis going on they were just like oh it's just rock man he's just being punk and that was it that was the depth of the analysis was he's just something doing something edgy and different yeah and it may as well have just been a slipknot mask yeah right it was just it happened to be a a pink flowered dress it's so funny i've never thought about that but you're so right i mean it was just seen as like uh you know uh, something that like a kooky guy would do you know like uh like the the david bowie yeah. kind of thing like he was a big fan of david yeah. bowie david bowie did that so he's like if at, at, at most they were like oh he's impersonating a david bowie kind of concept mm-hmm. or something yeah and you know and and that's also what's interesting right because this was one of the conflicts that Kurt Cobain himself had, right? Because he like rejected that jock mentality and yet the jocks were huge fans of Nirvana. Well, that's why right? he, they wrote that the... one song, right? Which song, what's the title of that song called? Um, where he sings about it's on um, Nevermind. I was just listening to the album. Hold on. Let me, let me pull it up. 
Yeah, I don't remember I'll play, song titles. I'll, I'll, play, but... I'll play it for us. Since we can do that. And I have screen sharing going, so. Mm -hmm. Here. Um, it's this song here, not the big song. I know every Nirvana lyric, by the way. I still know it. I can sing. Yeah. I have. I have rare Nirvana singles in my possession right now. Never will I get rid of them. They are like my totems. Let me see here. Let me pull up my lyrics. It's the one where um... <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, sing me a little bit. Tell me about it. What's it say? Uh, it, he's talking about how his their fans don't understand them. Like... Um, oh, I think it's Stay Away. Is it um, Stay Away? I don't know. Um, it's because it all blends together in my head. That's why. Yeah. Stay, stay away. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah. I'll, here, I'll pull mm -hmm. up the lyrics so we can analyze them quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the monkey see, monkey do. No, I guess it wasn't that one. Unless it was Territorial oh, Pissings. Oh, is it I Swear I Don't Have a Gun? Yeah. Uh, what song? What? And I swear that I don't... I think, is, is that one's in Bloom? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> wow, yeah. It's only like the, the other single <laughs> from this album, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're old now. We don't have that kind of memory. No, and I mean, no. that's... I mean, I don't think I've listened to some of these songs in maybe about, at this point, maybe 20 years even. So here we go. This is... Oh, show I'll, your sound. I'll turn it up. Oh, yeah. Am I not showing my sound? I can't hear it. Oh, okay. Here, let me click this thing. I'll click this. Oh, share... Oh, it's a new... It's a new... There's a button in the new zone. There we go. Oh no, go back up to the new share arrow. Oh, there it is. I heard it. Okay. There it goes. Here we go. This is a live look at the song. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Relax. Oh, that pretty song. Yeah. Likes to shoot his long and he likes to shoot his gun. But he knows what it means. Not what it means. And then self-reflecting he says he doesn't know what it means when he then repeats the lyrics then it makes the perfect one who likes them mm -hmm. yeah it makes the point perfectly so even so he's self-reflecting saying even the person who sings this song who's a fan of the song and our band ostensibly and knows all the lyrics of the song still when singing these specific lyrics will not get the point will not get it right and so like it's genius that awareness is 100% present though in 1999. Yes. That obliviousness is present in 1994, but the presence of it is there in 1999. And like, so I was sitting here watching both of these Woodstock documentaries and, and like, there's a couple of times. So, okay, let me also start by saying this. Okay, so I was fascinated by it for a lot of different reasons. Um, and I'm eager to sh maybe show a couple of clips. Mm -hmm. But 
So the first thing that I picked up on was the way that they were describing um, what it means to, uh, uh, like, document an event. And I believe it was the HBO one that took a little bit of a look at, oh, look at Woodstock 69, the movie, the two-disc set, it gets released, everything's great. And now we've, um, there's like a hagiography about it. There's a, a mythologization of it because none of the like actual bullshit of the planning, the logistics, the like behind the scenes shit, the riots that did happen there, the rapes and sexual assaults that wow. happened in 69, the thievery, the poor planning, the trash and all of the shit that actually happened in 69 was kind of like, well, boxed away and pretend forgotten about and pretended it wasn't there. And instead they pulled out a two disc set and a video. Yes. Right. So that's what happened. And so then, uh, Fast forward to 94, and this was also the thing that I was kind of trying... Like, I wanted to, like, actually take a timeline out and find, like... Uh, let me see. Generation by years. I don't know. Like, how... Like, like the target audience in 94 is also not the same target audience in... 99 and there's something about those five years there that like well uh, like something shifted <clears throat> because like even like even though by like 99 woodstock like columbine one. had happened 9 11 hadn't happened yet yeah so what do you what do you think what what, what like i have a bit um so the these years may ring in people's heads for people who've seen a lot of the adam curtis documentaries the the years from like 93 to like 96 97 are like the years that like the new economy started and it changed how people and with the the birth of the early internet and not so much the, the early in people being on the earlier internet, but the way that the early internet allowed culture to like propagate. So, cause we're not even talking about Napster until 1999. So all those people coming uh -huh. to those music festivals, uh -huh. those are still people buying yeah, CDs. MySpace, those are still people. Yeah, MySpace like, doesn't happen until right. 99 either. So I think what, what it really is, is that you're talking about, um, like if, if we were headed into a golden era, like pre two thousand, of in terms of like from the perception of the 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 people who are uh, moving the pieces around on the playing board, we were headed into a golden era. Every the economy was being unleashed. Mm -hmm. um, in nineteen ninety five, we basically completely restructured America's view about how we were going to like lend money and. Um, mm -hmm control the world economy essentially through uh sanctions mm -hmm. and other things it was a wonderful time for all kinds mm -hmm. of new options and then also um many new opportunities opened up um throughout the world for investment um when it came to technology like i think the heavy incorporation of computing and technology into people's lives, not just in terms of people directly using the computers, mm -hmm. but the technology being used in marketing for television and mm -hmm. video production, movies, 
<clears throat> I think that there was a level of like <clears throat> we didn't exactly have reality TV then. Of course, we had the real world and stuff like that. But I think that mm-hmm. basically our human efficiency to pull the veil over our eyes in all the different ways that that exists, you know, okay. from sports broadcasting to the Internet, even at that time, which is very little. I mean, we're still like, honestly, if we're talking about the mid 90s, we're talking about like pre Pam and Tommy tape still like a couple of well, at least like one year before it was at 97. Mm-hmm. I think that we're just in a point in the world that is doesn't know what can happen to it. You know, the worst thing that happened in 1995 was with the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. That was the worst thing that we could imagine, you know. Um, well, and I'm also... Meanwhile, so bad I'm also, things were taking place around the world, but we weren't fucking paying attention to any of that stuff. Yeah. National news wasn't a thing that we took seriously. It was like the final segment on the, you know the national news at the end of the day and we'd be like oh that's interesting mm-hmm. well back to my tv dinner you know like so if i if i also pretend for a moment that the target age of woodstock is a college kid okay so, so you have a college kid in the greatest time that's ever existed right yeah so like i'm gonna say uh, just for, again just just for round numbers i'm gonna say a 20 year old Right. So if I'm the marketing person for Woodstock right now, I would be like, I want 20 to 21 to 25 to 27 year olds, probably target audience. Um, As if I'm trying to be cool again, if what I'm trying to do is be cool, which is what I want to note here. This was one of the things that I also felt was wrong with Woodstock 99. The promoters were interested more in being cool than actually thinking whether the festival as a whole was cohesive. Yeah. Okay, which are not the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, it's and like I'm gonna a get to that here in a moment too. Type read, really. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Like it's like a careful homeostasis because there's so many variables at something like a festival. Okay, so you know that. I think kind of instinctually that you probably as like an observer would be like, well, that's so obvious. Okay. So anyway, but I'm like this other thing that I'm thinking of is like, what is the lived experience of that person? Right. So if I'm at Woodstock 94 Mm. as a 20 year old, that means I was born in 74. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 70, 80, 94. Right. So I was born in 74 and I'm coming of age of what? In the prosperity of the Reagan years? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But if I'm born in 1980 and I'm 20 years old in 1999, basically, right? What have I experienced in that time that has made me now cynical as a 20-year-old in 1999, right? And like, I... Both of the documentaries did try to kind of pull stuff up, but like none of them felt convincing. Like one of them for like was like somebody pulled up the whole Bill Clinton thing and that didn't feel convincing to me. Somebody yeah. mentioned uh, another one of the documentaries mentioned Girls Gone Wild and that actually resonated with me more than Bill Clinton did. Because everyone had seen Girls Gone Wild ads on TV in 1999. And no such thing existed in 1994. Yeah, no. And it wasn't, and 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 girl, and and 1999, Girls Gone Wild was targeted exactly for that same 20-year-old demographic. It was. And in 1994, 
pornography was for dirty old men who read Playboy. Yes, that's true. But through the internet, it has changed into everything else. Now pornography oh, is everything. Of course. Well, and well, it be, but like, so like, the, so now this gets me into like the curation question. Okay, so like the first, the first thing that I was like fascinated by was just who is the audience for Woodstock at each of those different times, right? Like, what does that mean for the vibes? Like, not to be yeah. all like a hippie about it, but like that's. That, that was their whole fucking concern. What are the vibes like there, right? Isn't that why, like, we also think about, like, the Hells Angels at that fucking Rolling Stone concert in San Francisco at Altamont? There was, like, a riot and, like, a stampede and shit, and, like, yeah, people they, died. Yeah, they sang about and, it in American Pie. Don McLean made a note of that one. Right? Yeah. So, like, the vibes there are bad if what you have are security that's the Hells Angels. Like... Duh. Like, I don't know. That seems but, like, yeah, that, <laughs> I think that, you know, if they ever host a Woodstock 24 or 25, they should just hire the Hells Angels to, right? to do it. Why not? Just for old time's sake, right? <laughs> yeah. Get Kanye to headline. <clears throat> get the okay, guys who so... were there then. You can get them in their walkers. And... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So, so this is actually kind of, okay. So I'm glad you said that because this brings me to the other thing that I was struck by, by the Woodstock documentaries, which is now I just want to get into the very concept of programming, Brian. Now, okay. You and I have talked a little bit about this, about uh, you have more experience in this realm uh, yes. than I do, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm just an ordinary dipshit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so in 1994, they booked bands, not just like Nine Inch Nails and I don't know, the Beastie Boys or whatever the fuck else they had at that time. Yeah, yeah, which they also booked sense, like the Grateful Dead and like Bob Dylan, I think, was there. And so was like the 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 Crosby guy. Yeah. You know, David Crosby. David Crosby. Yeah. And and again, I think they had like one of the Credence Clearwater guys come out, you know, and they like did a thing. Okay, so you just get you don't get clear water. No, just, yeah, that's all you got. Just the one C, not even the CR. Yeah. And, and, and like, I don't know what the other, I, I, I actually, you know what? You know what? Okay, how about this? Oh. Uh, we're going to learn, we're going to learn here together for a moment, sec, Brian. Yeah, I am going a, a to. Right yeah, no, do that while I pull this up.
played at Wickstock 94, starting, I guess, at the beginning. Oh, I want to note that at 94 and at 99, they didn't just have, like, the stages mm -hmm. of, like, rock bands. They also decided to have rave stock, a tent, where partying and, and like, EDM music, which was kicking off as a big trend in 1994, was taken off. So let's take a quick look at the oh, bands I gotta be of honest, 1994. My first, my first reaction is that I don't, except for a couple exceptions here, I don't recognize a lot of these names. That's correct, okay. Brian. So let me, yeah. now I consider myself a pretty big music nerd, okay? Uh-huh. I'll be honest. I, I believe I am. So this is day one, Friday. Roguish Armament with Wreck. No idea who that is. I think it needs to be not the name even of the a episode. blue link. I think it needs to be. Yeah. The There's note does not have a blue link in Wikipedia. I'm gonna write that down. Romish. Mass. No, ro Romish. Roguish architect. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it in our chat. Is what I'm gonna do. What I'm saying is these are not words. These are not actually no. words. They are not. Roguish armament. Mm -hmm. There it is. It's in the chat. Okay, thank you. Uh, Master of None, another band I've never heard of. Also, no blue link. A band called Three. Also, <laughs> Three. Which was also known as Three. Yeah, three the number, also known as three spelled out, is an American rock band formed in Woodstock. So like it's like a local Woodstock band. Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then we have Futu Futu, no idea. Classic ABBA, Futu Futu. ABBA Rage, which I'm gonna guess is a ABBA slash Rage Against the Machine mashup band. Sounds That's my best rockin'. guess. Yeah. A band called Lunch Meat. Surprise wasn't there. The taken. Paul Luke band hmm. peace bomb and now begin the link the list of names that played on friday that actually have links to something on wikipedia the goats hmm. a hip-hop trio from philadelphia pennsylvania not gonna lie they look like beastie boys ripoffs yeah they have a real hat thing going oh huff a moose formed in philadelphia no idea. Yeah, they look like uh, fancy lads. Orleans, an American pop rock, I guess from... They look like they're a barbershop quartet in this photo. They would one day sing at John Hancock Stadium before a baseball game started, I think. <laughs> and now, finally, some recognizable names. Oh. Blues Traveler. Blues Traveler. They're going to play The Hook, and it's in the last 14 and a half minutes. No, it's in the last Jackal. an hour. <laughs> Gonna sing no idea for an entire hour. Yeah. Jackal? Have you heard of Jackal? Never. They appear to be infringing on copyright with their logo or parodying the Looney, Looney Tunes, Tunes Warner Brothers. <laughs> That's all folks. <laughs> Delamitri. No, I don't know. A this one. Scottish alternative rock band <laughs> oh, formed in Glasgow Kathy, in nineteen eighty. How could I not know classic Scottish alternative rock band from the nineteen eighties? Delamitri. <laughs> Well, yeah, here, are. finally, I'm, I'm remiss. we get into the new metal hard rock beginnings, proto era with live. Oh, live. AKA lightning crashes yeah. and yeah. the other one. What's the juice? Like the Lucchini's juice. Isn't the that other the... one. Isn't that the... <laughs> James. Uh, James, an English rock band from Manchester, who I actually I... know because... Oh. 
because mm -hmm. I was really into Britpop all around this time. Uh, okay, yeah. So they are an English rock brand from Manchester. So guess what? I had their albums. Not a surprise. Cool. The one band that I could actually maybe sing more than one of their songs on this list. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. But again, so like this is one band so far and we are getting very close to the top of top billing of Friday night. Okay. So like we're not, this is an oasis that they booked. Okay. This is what I want to do for the rest of the episode. I just want to go through all these bands. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like that time we went through where did uh, where did the Dalai Lama meet Patty Smith, and it was at Glastonbury. Yes. Yeah, I just want to remind everyone the final story that I had was a bank robbery in town where someone was shot in the head with a sniper rifle while they were holding a knife to someone's throat. But this, to me, is more interesting right now. King's X, an American rock band formed in Springfield, Missouri. I have never heard of King's X. Cheryl Crow. Oh, do you think it's like King's Cross? Sort of like that. Oh, King's Cross. Just like yeah, a place no, you're smart. Yeah. yeah, you're smart. But it's an American band, which is kind of a weird name. Yeah. Okay. Cheryl Crow. Suzanne. I'm going to start calling her Suzanne Crow. So, um, this would be like this was even like what moms were listening to back even in 1994. Yeah. I, d yeah. I just want to point no, that out. I mean, that's I do, what my I mom was listening know, to at the time. Yeah. I do not know any 20 year old exactly who was like, yo, Cheryl fucking crow. Oh, sick. you know what it is? Yeah. Uh, damn. I feel like a woman that can be the, the other song. Maybe. Is so, that her? Is that I her? thought that was Reba McIntyre. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Are we mixing up our nineties country ladies? <laughs> or wait, was that another lady? Was that another country lady? Damn, I feel like a woman. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, God, it's an Fuck me. Well, now I have to use that. Mm -hmm. To okay, further cement back. my... Yeah, let's go back. Let's return to Sheryl Crow. Sheryl Crow is like, I want to soak up the sun. Yeah, wanna, she's on na, 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 na. the street. Uh... Santa yeah, but Monica she, okay, Boulevard. So, that song. Well, that one. The same, yeah. yeah. Collective Soul, an American rock band from Georgia, formed in 1992. Candlebox. And the Violent Femmes. Okay, okay. That's 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 okay. That's And the yeah. and Violent Femmes are the closing act on Friday night. So that's why you get to give your you an okay. idea of 1994. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about on one stage, just having all those bands in a single day on one stage, just setting up and breaking down. Seems like it would take. How is it even possible? Even if they're playing playing like three songs a piece, that's just okay. Sure. Now here, here, Brian is where I think we ooh. actually start to get interesting ooh, as ooh. we look back. Uh huh. It, with a modern lens. Yeah. At Ravestock, what did they have in 1994? Aphex Twin. So that's like Delight. the band. Yeah. Well, yeah. the guy, the guy, the guy to have. The guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's beginning. It looks like this is, I don't know if they put him in alpha order or what, but we got Aphex Twin. We got D-Light. We got DJ Spooky. We got The Orb and Orbital and Kevin Saunderson. So like. And then that's that's only half the list. We also have Doc Martin, Frankie Bones, Little Louis Vega, Soul oh, Slinger, and DJ Scott. Do you, see, and, the, do you mm -hmm. see the text below? Oh, I sure do. Like, oh, oh Brian, I have text. 
Notable events day one. <laughs> I Jackal just... took the stage yeah, just early me. on Friday. <laughs> Lead singer Jesse James Dupree took the stage with a bottle of whiskey and poured alcohol into the crowd. He then started smoking marijuana, and on a close-up, he shotgunned the joint into the camera with copious amounts of smoke filling the screens and the stage, at which point the crowd cheered. Dupree then lit a stool on fire on stage and cut it up with a chainsaw. Mm. He also okay. pulled out a rifle and started firing into the air, but cut his hand. <laughs> I didn't even read ahead. I swear I wasn't reading ahead. Oh, shit. Which started bleeding. As Dupree wiped his forehead, a streak of blood was left across his head. Okay, the second fact here is pretty good, too. Oh, uh, please. Aphex Twins' performance was cut short when promoters disconnected him midway through the show for signing a fake name on his contract, which would forfeit Polygram's rights to his performance. Oh, Just sick as hell. And so... God. Here is Jackal trying to be punk rock by like smoking weed and like, uh, like I guess lighting a stool on fire. Yeah. And Aphex Twin is being punk rock by getting around his contract requirements. Like, like this game. is yeah, this is what I mean. Like, I feel like there's like a there's starting to be a whole shift in society, like. The, the documentaries were trying to blame, like, Limp Biscuit and, like, Kid Rock for ruining 1999. But, like, and then I, and then after watching it, I was thinking, like, we, we couldn't really blame Columbine. We couldn't blame no. social media yet. No. We couldn't blame video games. No. I'm like, and we couldn't blame 9-11. I'm like, so, like, uh, which told me something was bubbling up even before all of those things. And I feel like that's what I was getting out of it. What was bubbling up even in 1999? Well, let's say without describing Listen. it, yeah. let's come up with a name, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the ooze from Ghostbusters 2, right? Except mm -hmm. like you know, the whole country's got it. Like I don't know what it is, but it's like uh, it's like the feeling or the fear that it's all gonna end or something. It, mm -hmm. There's some kind of like, oh, we are in the golden age. This is as good as mm -hmm. it's ever gonna get, but it's gonna end. And maybe that was like the feeling, you know? I mean, in '99 we had like Y2K, right? And but that like, was a real, you know, I wasn't old was enough like to be present in the Y2K fear bubble. But that was, like, very real. I know, like, you know, 60 Minutes and all these people, like, mm -hmm. it was all taken, you know, as seriously as mm -hmm. one could take something, I think. Not that mm -hmm. I would be feeding into it today, I don't think, but... Well, no, because we would know things about computers then. If we were us then, no. we would know enough about computers to be like, well, this isn't a big deal. We're, we're going to, like, mm -hmm. double-click update.exe and everything's okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. I'm going to try to go through... 94 yes. kind of quickly because yes. that they're not as important but in 94 again the mix is a little bit different in 94 the mix is real like intergenerational because mm -hmm. now they're now by day two on saturday they're bringing in assholes like joe cocker and crosby stills and nash and aerosmith oh, this, is the this is legitimacy this is like yeah. the real you know, yeah. R O C K rock and roll. 
Uh-huh. And then, like, in the, like, Gen X category, I'm seeing Metallica and, like, Rollins' band. Aerosmith, is that fit? Right, yeah. And then, like, in the, like, younger crew, I'm seeing, like, Cypress Hill and Rollins' band and the Cranberries. The Cranberries, Right, but yeah. you have Primus and also, like, the band. Right, like in the band, the that's band. like the band. Yeah, yeah, that's so. What a, I mean, they fit, but do well. Do they? Fit? But see, like, but but this is what I mean. This is a boomer parent going with their kid to this music festival. This one is. This one. Is. This one is. Yes, and so like, your dad and you could both have gone to the show, and while. You're watching Cypress Hill. He's rocking out to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Like, and you're both over there, and and then you meet up, and then, yeah, and then, like, you're there with your buddies. He's there with his buddies, and it's, like, a bonding thing. Based on this, this seems like the most successful kind of music thing version of this of all time. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the lineup you have here, and with that concept in mind that you just pointed out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you look. look, So this repeats finally on the last day. Yeah, it's totally. Look at all. Oh, I don't even... Yeah, I'll let you yeah. read it. So, for the dad rock, they bring them out. Country Joe McDonald, who played the original Woodstock in the first place, right? You have Dylan. You have the Allman Brothers band. Um, Allman Brothers have, is you, so crazy to me. That's like... That it turns this into a real, like, music mm-hmm. festival. Like, real, like, Woodstock. You have Santana, Woodstock. Jimmy Cliff, the Neville Brothers. Again, this is the dad rock shit. Like, I bet you a couple right. of these bands, like Almond Brothers might have been able to be old enough to be at the original Woodstock. Yeah. They might have been, like, attendees. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That, that is much, yeah. Okay. And then you look at the modern bands. And you have, um, like, again, of the recognizable ones, um, you have the Spin Doctors, Porno for Pyros, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Green Day. But also so Peter like, Gabriel. That's... Yeah. Wow. So, like... So now here's the other thing. Not only are you 20-year-old attendee there with your folks because you're watching Porno for Pyros and he's watching the Allman Brothers. Mm -hmm. All of the bands that are here present, because they're now in front of fucking Bob Dylan and Carlos Santana, those motherfuckers have to be on their best behavior too, whether they think that way or mm, not. That's true. Because you're not going to fucking act up in front of literally rock legend royalty, right? Would you? No, I mean, this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and you want to make sure right? everything goes perfect. Every single one of these people were all on their best behavior because they all felt like this was like, for one reason or another, even if there were different reasons, they all felt like this like this is like a crazy moment in my mm-hmm. career. I have to do this. And I and it, that would only be increased mm-hmm. by the more like legends mm-hmm. from 20, 30 years ago that were there. Because mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, fuck. You know, I might be in porno for pyros, but like Bob Dylan is here. So. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the complete list. It doesn't seem like they're... Uh... You know, speaking of uh, Bob Dylan, uh, we recently watched this, uh, the We Are the World documentary. It's on Netflix. It's about uh-huh. that, so the, crea- uh-uh. the creation of that song. I highly recommend going and looking that up in terms of musical history. It's like right along this. It's like hmm. you can look at the artist list and be like, how did they get these people? And the documentary is really, uh, 
really, really good at like showing. It's basically like, yeah. What if we took the Avengers of the you know '80s of pop music mm -hmm. and like put them together in a room? And m basically, the documentary is about those personalities clashing, which I assume is mm -hmm. or and mixing and blending and and each of them trying to like because uh, they're like all artists together like when one of them has an emotional moment like the artist they relate to will come over and be like you gotta like we can get it back together we can keep going we can keep doing this. Like, or like when someone got too drunk like the other people that like knew them mm -hmm. will be like hey we gotta we can sing for four more hours like mm -hmm. let's keep our shit together um the greatest night in pop how does it is what the where's the complete is that what where do they let me see schedule there's the show the whole schedule okay how does it say look it says and 13 more artists like it doesn't even list them that's rude okay hold on there has to be Is a better like one an archive woodstock yeah it's like i guess woodstock it has their um like a like like they archive the site oh okay so I want to see if maybe here bands attending. So let's see. Wow, the Offspring. Oh wow, this list of bands. If I just look at it, it's like well, yeah. there's all the bands in the '90s. They were all there. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah. Let me. Okay. So this is the list of 1999, and I want to just note that like as I look at the list, Brian, I want you to notice that none of the Boomer bands are there. Zero. Zero. Okay. So. Um, Bob Dylan isn't, and, and again, the, the only reason I'm bringing that up, right, is because then what that means is that none of those parents have an incentive to attend. None. And that changes the entire environment and the, the chemistry. And there's none of those old heads who are there that are going to be like, hey, like, cool down, like, drink some fucking water, or like, you know, something right. like that. Yeah. Right. Like, again, there's like a couple of, Old timey names smattered around Nelson in '99. The only one that I can really right. get to, and that's basically it. So I'm gonna go down this list because now I want you to think about the lack of elders present at '99 with the list of bands I'm about to name. Mm -hmm. Brian Setzer Orchestra, a bunch of nerds. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, the Bruce Hornsby Group, no idea. He's Buck a, Cherry, yeah, guitarist. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, Bush, uh, Gavin Rossdale of Bush, again, one of the most non-threatening rock frontmen of all times. Yeah. You have the Chemical Brothers, yeah. Elvis Costello, George Clinton. That's an old timer, kind of, sort of. Yeah, there's Collective Soul, again. Counting Crows, not a hard no rock risk. band. Yeah. Creed. Zero, uh, negative risk. Yeah. Cheryl Crow. Yeah, nothing there. And now you get to Ice Cube. And now you get to DMX. Mm -hmm. And then you get back to, like, again, in this, like, rock realm, Everclear. You put Everlast in the kind of rap realm. That's right. You have Fatboy Slim. You get Godsmack out of nowhere. Al Green. Which is a very... Out of nowhere. Yeah. What a... How do you even... Al Guster? Green. No idea. And then Jewel... Like Jewel Jewel. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Wow. 
Then you get Wyclef, Wyclef Jean and the Refugee All-Stars is before they're the Fujis exactly. Oh, but, okay. you know, still in the kind of rock, uh, still in the kind of like in the more rap category, even though yeah. they were kind of like, they were like the Roots, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's right. Uh, who, who, mind you, also play Woodstock 99. The Roots are there. Oh, yeah. Um, but so is Rusted Root and then the Tragically Hip, Willie Nelson, as you mentioned, Sugar Ray, which is like pop schlock shit. But that was at and the then, top of the po- the charts at the time. Mm-hmm, so that's why you get mm-hmm. yeah. And then you start to get into like, again, like, so more hard rock, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine, Our Lady Peace, Umbilical Brothers. What the fuck is that? Oleander, The Offspring, Mike Ness, who is also like a like kind of old punk head guy. I think he was the guy from Social Distortion, if I'm remembering correctly. And then you have Alanis Morissette, Mickey Hart, who I think is the guy who is married to Pink. No, that's Corey Hart. Moby, Metallica, Megadeth. Live, Limp Biscuit, Corn, Kid Rock, Dave Matthews Band, huh. and Los Lobos, and Moby for some reason. So, there's like no real cohesiveness to this list. No, there's no, there's no flow, there's no themes. It's kind of just like, let's get some artists. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it was programmed by like 11 different people, you know? Yeah. And like, one of the things that the documentaries noted was how little, how few women were on here. Yeah. Because now when you go through the list and look for the women, you have. Crow. And you have Jewel. Jewel. And you have Alanis Morissette. And that's it. So you don't have, um, you don't have even think of like, top lady stars of 1999 both in the rock and the rap realm because you can see they're trying to bring like dmx and ice cube right so no mary j blige no uh missy elliott um no uh no tlc and they were all waterfalls was like the biggest fucking yeah like the you know um, you know, honestly, even if you really wanted Woodstock 99, I think this is kind of a moment where pop music had ascended and kind of like pushed away a few other genres mm-hmm. in terms of music. And I think mm-hmm. that what you're really missing here is some pop stars, like actual pop stars. Mm-hmm. I think that were you to have something in theme today, Woodstock 24, you'd have Dua Lipa, you'd have Olivia Rodrigo, you would have you know, Billie Eilish. And those, those would all be, you'd have many more artists, many more female artists, like solo female yep. acts. In fact, yep. they would all fit at Woodstock yep. today. Yep. And, and which makes me feel like they probably would have fit at Woodstock then too, if they had been given the chance. And those artists well, certainly existed. They just didn't select them. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like this was what I was thinking about what had changed. And you kind of put it really like at the forefront they mention it a little bit here, but it's that by this time, the commercialization of music is really and truly complete. Yeah. In 1994, Kurt Cobain, like the legacy of his death, what it did make was all of these kids start going, I'm never going to sell out. Right. And like, and I don't know that that like stuck as like a thing, but I think people felt burnt by that, that like our shit was being sold back to us. And by 1999, it is, it's the Backstreet Boys. 
right? Like you couldn't just have rock without compromising, like, and I think like that's part of what started yeah. going wrong here with this lack of cohesion. Yeah. Because I also think that's that it. there were that's... a lot of chick bands, like hard rock bands in 1999 that they could have had here that would have been in theme. They could have had like, I don't know, just, I think they just really fucked it up. But think about, no, think about like Kurt Cobain's death in this scenario, right? He doesn't uh, make it into this world. Mm-mm. But like, what would his music have said had he made it further? You know, had mm-hmm. he stuck around and, and sent that message that he had to send that maybe he never did because he never mm-hmm. had the chance to. Like, where would he have fit into this picture? And how much different would music have been here? Because a lot of, a lot of like, guys thought he was, like, the coolest guy. And a lot of guys were that person he was writing about in that song. Um, and maybe if they would have had more time with more of his art, maybe they would have arrived somewhere different. Mm-hmm. But all I know is when Nirvana yeah. was uh, around, they were the band. Like, the band. Yeah. So they had a chance. And not to mention, they all went on to do, like, big shit, so. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's lovely, because if you visit the Woodstock 99 page and click on the The artist links. links. Oh, they work. The tripod links They work. work. Some of them work. Yeah. A corn So I went to. Yeah. Wow. This is amazing. This page is gone. It sucks, but don't come back. Oh my god! Like someone, like no. someone in the old days, went back and like rewrote the HTML to be like my page. Forget it. It sucks. My page. But is twisted corn. Yeah, twisted corn. A man. corn freak at tripod. It's still here. Kathy, I had a website just like this. It's it was a. Um, I may have said this on the podcast before, but it was a. <gasps> corn... Welcome to my corn page. Oh my god! If you don't know who corn is, you must be brain dead. Oh my god. That's what websites were. We'll see were. how much of this. That's just what websites were. Yeah. Welcome to my corn page was 80% of the internet in 1999. <laughs> yeah, just post it like that. Just like <laughs> just leave it cut, cutting off. <laughs> corn was not able to play Lollapalooza down in Corpus Christi due to an illness. Anyone who has visited this page... <laughs> I love this so much. This is truly... I'm so glad that we just found that. Hmm. <laughs> what kind of video clips? Click click video and see, oh my God. see what comes up. This is just some MP4 files. Uh. MOV files. Oh my God, he has, he has a clip from Adidas. Oh, oh, of course the MOV files will be gone. Oh, damn. Rip. Well, I was really looking forward to like a 180p, like little tiny thumbnail video clip of like a corn music video, but I guess no luck. We got close. Wow. Yeah, some of these definitely trip. redirect to like dead links, you yeah, know, and that bad. sucks. But um, it, it it was a really fun repository. I encourage all of you to go to Woodstock nineteen ninety nine dot com, check out the band lineup, and we'll come right back at you here on 
FTB Total Request Live. Yeah. What's up? Yeah, we're here at the corner of uh, the third floor of this building in Times Square. Yeah. Look at all the people. Ah! Oh, look at them. They're yelling. They're excited. They're holding signs for me, Carson Daly. Yeah. Just wild. Anyway, so I had a delight watching it. Um, and while I had, like, thoughts on, like, what the commentators were saying, I, I didn't like the takes exactly. I did like the interviews with the artists who participated. That's always, like, insightful, I feel like. And then... Yeah. Uh, Made me want to go back and listen to like porn. Actually, it did mm -hmm. make me want to like, yeah, and uh, hence why I've had nothing but the nookie on my mind. Oh yeah, so yeah, we we had an idea for the closing song. I actually can't remember what it was now. No, we said the closing song at the beginning. Yeah, the closing song is the is nookie, nookie by the opening Biscuit, song. But the opening. We talked about so much music here. I feel like it's mm -hmm. such a. We have such a beautiful choice. Well, here let's 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 do our our final stories here before we. Okay. Well, the Alec Baldwin thing was pretty boring. Yeah. Is a nothing burger in the headline, so okay. I'll, I'll just skip that. But um, you and I were talking about comics. Yes. And uh, I don't know if you you, you said you had never uh, or that yes you'd heard of the American Splendor movie with Paul Giamatti. Have you seen it? I've seen it, but I I, I just forgot it. Don't remember yeah. it too too well. Okay, yeah. so um, I really like it. Not only because I like comics, and you like comics. We're comics nerds, mm -hmm. apparently. Yes. Little did we know. Wow, big shock. And wait, and you like the internet? What are the chances? So, yeah. oh. um, wow. So, uh, this particular clip, I really like it because, as far as the movie, I think really plays and fucks around with reality. So it's like a little seven-minute clip. Um. And yeah, we'll close out with that today. That sounds perfect. And then and then go enjoy some reality. Okay. Let me make sure I'm sharing sound here. Here we go. I yes. Share sound. Okay. And try to skip through this like little intro. It's going like, "Oh hey, look, Judah Friedlander was in a movie." And they're like, check out this clip from. Do you want these gourmet jelly beans? I gave up sweets for Lent. Yeah, sure, I'll take them. I recommend the pina coladas. They're excellent and very authentic tasting. It's watermelon. That's not. It's pretty good, though. Wait till you try the pina coladas. Hey, Toe, tell me something. Can you eat uh, lentils during Lent? Sure, I don't see why not. You can't eat meat on certain days, but lentils should be acceptable any time. Yeah. You think there's any connection between lentils and Lent? I don't think so, but I'll ask Sister Mary Fred at church on Sunday. Sister Mary Fred, huh? she cute? Sounds kind of mannish, but who the hell am I to be picky? Harvey, you're funny. She's a nun. So what, man? And maybe she became a nun because she couldn't get a guy. Harvey, she became a nun because she had a higher calling. 
Higher calling. What a crock of shit. Man, you know, I don't even know why you bother praying anyway. I enjoy the ritual, and I'm a very spiritual person. You know, you should try believing in something bigger than yourself. It might cheer you up. What do we seem depressed, Toby? I feel like Rolf Kent did the music for this one too, uh, along with Sideways. This sounds yeah. like Rolf Kent music. Cut! That was great, guys. The bakery scene's next. The bakery scene's next. I don't know. The bakery scene's next. The bakery scene's next. The bakery scene's next. Bakery's my seed, but not that way. Forget the bakery. Let's eat some jelly beans. Yeah. I think one might be lime, one might be like mint. Well, what's the difference between this and this? One's cherry, one's cinnamon. You could tell that by just looking at them? Not me, really. I have to put it in my mouth first. Loneliness can feel so bad. There had been times I felt lonely because a lot of times it was just me and my grandmother and I'll just be sitting in my room all day watching television or reading books. That was before I bought a computer, of course. So how, how do you cope with loneliness, Harvey? Uh, did I say I watch television? Yeah, you mentioned you watch TV, you listen to your jazz records, you read, you write, you do your stick figures, so you could plan, plan for your next comic book. Paul Giamatti's yeah. face in the background is priceless. That's a mini stick figures. It's beautiful. And that seems to be pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Chocolate jelly beans. I'm going to have to try one. Go ahead. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's uh, There's a couple of scenes like that, Brian, where it plays with the actors who are playing these people who are real and they all show up in the scene together like that. And it's just, um, I had completely forgotten about that as like a technique in the movie. And mm -hmm. I was just so delighted by it when I saw it yesterday. No, I'm gonna have to go, go ahead and watch that. That'll be uh, fantastic. I've been on yeah. a, I've been on kind of a, 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 a thought quest, like trying to track down all the Paul Giamatti stuff that I want to see. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been winning awards recently. Did you see that great photo of him after he won his Golden Globe uh, a few weeks ago where he immediately went to In-N-Out and he kind of recreated that scene yeah. from Sideways in real life at the end of Sideways where he, like, drinks the, like, $1,000 bottle of champagne out of a styrofoam cup. But, like, here he, like, he has his, like, Golden Globe, like, sitting on the fast food yeah. table while he's, like, shoving a burger into his face. Like, <laughs> and he's in a tuxedo. He's still in his, like, full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. No, we're 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 big Jamadi fans here in here in yes. this house. I mean, we uh, we you actually did just watch. Set up for yeah, <laughs> we watched uh, we watched Sideways recently. We actually mm -hmm. own it. Oh yeah, um, we we went to go see uh, the the his most recent film over the holidays, uh, the the Forgotten Ones or the Left Behinders or whatever it was, oh, the yeah, Leftovers that's, that's or whatever it was called. Award for, yeah. yeah, it was quite good. We've seen it a couple times already, and. Uh, uh, he just did an interview with Howard Stern, by the way, which, uh, if you may remember, he also was in Private Parts. 
where yes, he, played he played pig vomit. Kind of the most amazing character in that movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, because he smells like a pig and he makes me want to vomit. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I was a long time, uh, uh, long term listener to Howard Stern's program. So I'm very, very familiar with his whole history and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, Brian, next time we'll talk about your Howard Stern knowledge and we will talk about how I know every how I know everything about Tom Likas. Okay, interesting. You know, that's a good combo episode. No, thank you, Kathy. This has been wonderful. I'm sure as always at some point I'll roll through here and remember what the song was that was supposed to be playing. Uh, This is Limp Biscuit, I think, but the other one was uh, what was it? I forgot, but we'll fix. But invent something. Who cares? Okay, love you. Bye.